of John chapter 4. Uh, so follow along on page 888 or in your own Bible as well. So John chapter 4. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had a pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from, a long, from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and, was about, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his, his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If I knew the gift of God, and it, and it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have had given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you have now, it is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that <clears throat> in Jerusalem is the place where the people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem Will you worship the Father? You worship that you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to the woman, but no one said, What do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away to a town and said to the people, Come and see the man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? 
they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to each other, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of what him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then come the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Ready, the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one who sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for the word that you have written. Uh, We also thank you for your spoken word. But most importantly, we just thank you for the word that is Jesus Christ. This morning, uh, we pray for our brother Brian as he brings forth to us your word. Uh, We pray that you will speak through him and that our hearts and minds will be open to what your word has to say. Lord, we thank you for all this, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tom, for reading our text today. We appreciate that. Excited to be here with you in our baptism service and now opening up God's word. I drove through a snowstorm yesterday to get here. So, coming back from Michigan, a little visit with my wife's family, um, 
just to celebrate Easter, and it was my mother-in-law's birthday. So, but yeah, on our way back, it was snowing. I was surprised. I couldn't believe it. Um, but we made it back safely, um, and so we're glad to be here this morning to open up God's Word. Before we get into it, I just wanted to mention uh, that we do have our members meeting next Sunday after the morning service, so uh, church members be aware of that. Um, there is an email that went out um, to you, so please check your email regarding that. Um, last year we had made a decision to, to do research on modifying uh, our church building to meet some of our needs, so we've done that research we're presenting an amount that it would cost to uh, do that work, and so we need an affirmation from the church regarding that so we can then figure out how to go about getting to that point and getting that money in and doing the necessary steps. So please take time to look over that email. If you have any questions, please feel free to come and talk to me. I'd be glad to answer any questions that you have. This morning we're going to be looking in John chapter 4, and uh, today we're continuing with our study here. Uh, in John, and uh, the study is proclaiming Jesus in the Gospel of John, and uh, John's Gospel is all about proclaiming Jesus. It's the theme this year for our church that we would proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and not ourselves, and so John does this very well. He doesn't proclaim himself. He proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord. In fact, you'll get later on, if you know the, the, the history of Jesus and the disciples flee, John is one of them. Um, he's not proclaiming himself. He's proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. And so we're going to continue to do that as we work through John. And it's definitely true here in chapter 4. Last week, we looked at chapter 3 and the story of Nicodemus, this uh, rabbi who had come uh, to Jesus to ask questions, to try to understand who Jesus was to some degree. And then uh, John the Baptist and his declaration that he is not the Christ, but that Jesus is the Christ. We saw that Jesus uh, is someone we proclaim because all are born again through him. He's the one who gives new life. And that new life is expressed through saving faith in Jesus and embracing the supremacy of Jesus Christ. That no matter who we are, we must be born again. You know, the religious leader, this rabbi, this, the teacher of Israel, Jesus said, must be born again. Must have new life. Our sin has left us without spiritual life, and we need it. And only Jesus can give it to us. We in turn express saving faith in Jesus Christ. We believe that He was sent by God to save us from the punishment of our sin. The famous John 3.16 is there in that passage. God so loved the world that He sent His Son that whoever believes in Him might have eternal life. We embrace the supremacy of Jesus. That Jesus is the saving God. He is God became man. And He is God and therefore has authority over us to be glorified by us. And so we can affirm with John the Baptist there in chapter 3 when he says, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus must increase, I must decrease. Today we're going to continue our study with the conclusion of this section of John's cycle through some Jewish institutions. We looked at Jesus at the marriage. We looked at Jesus at the temple. We looked at Jesus with the rabbi. And here we come to Jesus at the sacred well. 
The cycle started in Cana of Galilee, and if you were following what Tom read, you would have heard that it ends in Cana of Galilee as well. It started with the first miracle, Jesus turning the water into wine there in Cana of Galilee, and we read here at the end that this is the second miracle in Cana of Galilee. Now, not, not the second miracle He's done. If you read through two, chapter 2 and chapter 3, you'll read about the fact that He's done other miracles in Judea, in Jerusalem, But here's the second miracle he does here in Cana of Galilee, where Jesus here heals the son of this official. And the central theme of this cycle really is what we looked at last week. The idea that we need to be born again. We need new life. We need a new heart. We need regeneration. That that the old water needs to be turned to new wine. That the, the, the impure and imperfect worship of the temple needs to become the pure, perfect worship through Jesus Christ. That the water we need is living water. That the one who is as good as dead with the fever is going to be brought to life. This is the one we need, Jesus Christ, because He brings new life he brings new birth this morning we're going to look at this main point here we proclaim jesus as the giver of new life who defies our expectation and demands our humility we proclaim jesus as the giver of new life who defies our expectations and demands our humility really i mean throughout this whole cycle we have been reading about the expectations of different people and here i want to bring these expectations to light uh, in this dialogue between the samaritan woman and between uh, the the official here as we see and even between uh, jesus's disciples and even between those who are in galilee there's all these expectations of jesus now we started in chapter two with him being at the wedding and his mother comes with the expectation and jesus softly and kindly the way you would usually do to, toward your mother, <laughs> rebukes her, sets her in her place, helps her to understand that at one point in time, truly, she was the mother to the Son of God. Yet now Jesus has come into His ministry and He will not have any other authority over Himself but the Father. He's the only one. That expectation had to be set right. Nicodemus comes saying, I... You know, we know you're from God. We see the things you're doing. You must be a teacher. His expectations were wrong. Jesus sets them right. He says, no, I am sent by God. I am the Son of Man. Whoever believes in Me will not be condemned. I mean, this is the message that's given. And so we come... We come to chapter 4 and we see more expectations that are given here. More expectations that are thought of regarding Jesus and yet Jesus challenges our expectations. That's our first point this morning. Jesus challenges our expectations. And the first thing we see here with the woman at the well is that Jesus is not culturally relevant. It's interesting. Jesus comes to Samaria because... The Pharisees are beginning to make a big deal about him, and it's not, it's not time to confront the, the Pharisees yet. That'll come later. So he leaves Judea. He departs again for Galilee. Um, the, the straightest route to Galilee is through a land called Samaria. Now, Samaria is the remnants 
the leftovers after the northern kingdom of Israel was taken over by Assyria. Assyria came, took over, took a bunch of them captive, and then replanted other people there in the northern kingdom. And those, those people who they moved from another place intermarried with the Israelites who were left, and they became this not-quite-Israelite people any longer. They embraced many of the, 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 the worship practices of the people that were brought in. They were viewed of as unclean because they had chosen to marry these other people and not remain pure to the Jewish faith. And so the, the Samaritans were viewed very negatively by the Jews. And yet, the most direct route to Galilee is through Samaria. And that's the route that most people take, and that's the route that Jesus takes. And as he takes that route, he gets tired. What does that tell us? Jesus is truly human. He's truly God, but he's truly human. He gets tired. He gets thirsty. He stops at a well. Just so happens to be Jacob's well. Maybe not just so happens. Jesus is God. He knows what he's doing. He comes to this well, and he comes to bring new life. But the woman's not ready for that. She has her own expectations. And so as Jesus sits down, and as the woman comes to the well, she comes to him during the sixth hour, which is probably around noon, the way they count it, the hottest part of the day, not usually when you went to draw water. Many people think that it's probably because uh, she has a sordid life, as we'll soon see. And uh, so she doesn't go and get her water at the well when most other women would have gone in the early morning or in the evening. She goes by herself, which was uncommon as well. And so here she is at the sixth hour coming to draw water, and Jesus is there. And as the woman comes up, we see in verse 7, Jesus says to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then John gives us this little parenthesis, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. The woman is blown away, surprised by the fact that a Jew would be asking a Samaritan woman for drink. I mean, some of the research goes so far as to say that Jews would not share the same utensils. I mean, even if they're washed and even if they're cleaned, they wouldn't share the same utensils with a Samaritan. So what's going on? Jesus didn't have a bucket. Jesus didn't bring his own cup. I mean, he's asking this woman if he can use her bucket, if she can draw him water with her bucket and use her dipper or whatever to drink some of that water. I mean, this is just amazingly unheard of. And the Samaritan woman is astonished by it. Now, it, you know, in our days, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. But we have to understand what is going on here. In the culture of that day, this was completely unheard of. Jesus is not all about being culturally relevant. He's not all about living within uh, the customs that he has. He's all about doing the will of his Father, being obedient to him. And so he doesn't mind going against the culture of his day in order to be able to share with this woman what he has to share with her. Jesus is challenges our expectations he challenges the expectation of this woman who sees him as a jew and wonders why he would ask for water but not only that he challenges the expectation of his disciples so after talking with this woman finally his disciples return 
And we see that they come back in verse 27. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with the woman. So if you doubted that the culture was that way, his disciples as well were amazed that Jesus was even talking to a Samaritan, and not only that, to a woman. In fact, in some traditions, though they're later, rabbis would not talk to any women. And they even went so far as sometimes to not even teach their wives any of the Word of God, <laughs> any of the Torah. They, just, they weren't going to talk. That's the kind of the way they viewed. And so Jesus is doing something completely different. And so here the disciples are amazed that he's talking not only to a Samaritan, but to a woman. But they knew enough about Jesus to not confront him. So it says here, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? And yet, what happened? Jesus is not quite who they imagined him to be. He doesn't fit their expectation, their mold. But it's not just the disciples, and it's not just the Samaritan woman. We find that when Jesus comes back to his hometown in Galilee, he is not going to be what they imagined him to be either. In verse 43, it says, After the two days he departed for Galilee, Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. A prophet has no honor in his own hometown, which is going to be surprising what the next verse says. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Like, wait a minute. They thought he wasn't going to have a welcome in his own hometown. I thought he wasn't going to be accepted. They welcomed him? Yes. Why? Because having seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. They had seen all the miraculous things that Jesus has done, and so they were excited to have him back. The miracle worker is back. The one who does all the wonders is back. And yet, we had already read in chapter 2, now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Chapter 2 had already told us that there were many people who had believed in his name, but only because they liked the signs that he did. Only because they liked Jesus the performer, not Jesus, the Messiah. In fact, we're actually told this in, in, in our text today. When we get to verse 48, when the official comes to Jesus to ask him to heal his son, what's Jesus' response? It's a bit of a rebuke. But it's not ultimately for the official because the official shows that this is not him. But it's for the Galilee, all those that are around. What does Jesus say? Verse 48, Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. In fact, as the official actually does the opposite. Before he sees, it says here he believes Jesus. So who is that for? That's actually for all the Galileans. They had an expectation of Jesus. They wanted Jesus the performer. They wanted Jesus the one who was going to entertain them or solve all their problems, their physical ailments or their issues of the day. But that is not who Jesus is. But not only does Jesus challenge the 
the, the relevance of the culture. But Jesus is not even comparable to what has come before. He said this is the, the last of these institutions that Jesus comes and confronts, and here he confronts this institution of Jacob's well, but more specifically of the fathers, the ones who had come before. Now the Samaritans, it's interesting, in their religious, their, their religious views, they had rejected a lot of Judaism and only really accepted the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, they didn't accept any of the rest of the Old Testament, and they kind of merged them a little bit, again, with some of the, some of the other religions around there. But their hope was found in that there, this, a second prophet would come after Moses, who would be like Moses, and he would come. And so they, they had this Messiah as well that they were looking at, they were hoping it would come, the Tahab. But until then... Only the fathers held true religious authority. So unlike the Jews, they had the rest of the Old Testament, and then they had the Sanhedrin, and they had the Sadducees, and they had the Pharisees, and they had the religious rulers, and the teachers of the law. The Samaritans rejected all that. They just looked back. The fathers had ultimate authority. So that's where the significance is here to Jacob in the mind of this Samaritan woman. As Jesus here offers the Samaritan woman living water. Water that she would not have to continually go back to and find. Water that was flowing and would continue to flow like a spring welling up, as he says here, up to eternal life. It would continue to give that. What does she say? What is her response? Well, first of all, I think it's funny. She says, but sir, you have nothing to draw the water with. Sir, you don't have a bucket. (laughs) How are you going to possibly... Give me water. But notice what she says then. Are you greater than our father Jacob? For he gave us the well and drank from it himself. Is the great patriarch Jacob who dug this well, of which, who sat at the well, who which gave us this water that has flowed for more than a millennium. This well has been there a long, long, long time. Is there a way that Jesus could provide something better than what the fathers gave? And it's not just about Jacob, and it's not just about the well. It goes back to the religious view of the Sadducees, or the Sadducees, no, the Samaritans. The religious view of the Samaritans. Can Jesus provide more than what we know of the Pentateuch, more than what our forefathers have provided for us. And we see that in the marriage, Jesus is the true bride who will provide for his, or true bridegroom who will provide for his bride. We see in the temple that Jesus is the true temple. And that, that temple will be destroyed in 70, but, 70 AD by the Romans, but Jesus is the one through whom we worship. He says, destroy this temple, my body, in three days, and I will raise it up. This is the means by which you have a relationship with God. This is the medium through which you get to God. When the rabbi comes, what does Jesus say? You can do all your religious rituals you want, but they won't be enough. You need new birth. You need new life that comes through Jesus. And now in a similar respect, he's telling this Samaritan woman, your Samaritan religion is not enough. Your forefathers are not enough. In fact... 
while he doesn't go to that here, we know this is true, that the forefathers pointed to Jesus. Where the Jew would claim Abraham as his father, Jesus says, Abraham saw my day and was glad. Abraham looked forward to me coming. In the same way the Samaritan woman would claim Jacob as her father, and the Samaritans themselves would claim Jacob as their father, and yet Jesus is saying someone greater than Jacob is here. He is not to be compared. He challenges the expectation of putting weight onto the forefathers. Jesus is also not about temporary prosperity. As the woman, as the woman responds to Jesus' offer of new water, when Jesus says in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Speaking of the well, but whoever drinks of the water that I give will never be thirsty. The water that I give, uh, give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come back to this well and draw off water again. He misses the point. She thinks Jesus is offering to her temporary prosperity, but that is not what Jesus is giving. Her expectation of what Jesus offers is wrong, and Jesus is going to confront that. The water he offers is spiritual. It's new spiritual life. Which is ultimately what we need because it wells up to eternal life. Jesus has power to take away her thirst. I mean, you think back in the Old Testament about the prophets, and you know, this one prophet went to this widow's house, and she had this jar of oil, and what did he do? Like he prayed to God, and it continued to give oil. Could Jesus have done that with her bucket? Surely he could have. But that would only satisfy her physical need, and that's not what Jesus is here to ultimately satisfy. There's something far greater. A spiritual need that needs to be addressed. Lest if like we read in chapter 3, spiritual need not addressed, we are condemned already. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. Spiritually dead. We are not acceptable before God. We will not inherit eternal life. What Jesus brings is not physical prosperity, but spiritual In fact, the disciples come back and they get confronted by this as well. They come back to Jesus. And as they come back, the woman leaves. She goes back to her home, begins to tell people all about the man who told told her everything about her. She asks the question, can this be the Christ? In verse 31 we read, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he says to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? (laughs) Jesus said to them, here, let me help you out. He's like, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. His food, Jesus' food is spiritual food. In fact, when we read about Jesus being tempted by Satan, Satan wants him to turn the rocks into bread and feed his hungry belly. That, and he was hungry. He had fasted. And, and what does Jesus say? The word of God's my food. 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What's the point, though, of it proceeding out of the mouth of God is that we live by it. Is that it's, it's something we, we live by. It's my food to do God's will. That was what Jesus said. And in turn, that's, that's what He provides for us as well. This water is a spring that continues to give and to give so that we might continue to live and to live and to live. It's not this one-time thing that happens. I'm born again and I'm done. No, we're born again so that this whole new life is in front of us. New water springing forth. New food nourishing us over and over again as we live out the will of God. It's not temporary prosperity. It's spiritual life. And then we get to the official son. God does grant physical healing. He does. But what is the point of the physical healing? It's so that the official and his household might believe. So that new life might come to them. The physical is only temporal, but the spiritual is eternal. Jesus challenges our expectations. We want a Jesus that makes our life easy, and we want a Jesus that gives us roses and green grass and a house with a white picket fence or whatever it is. Jesus comes not to do that. The prosperity gospel is not Jesus' gospel. Jesus comes to bring new life. New spiritual life. But Jesus challenges our expectations by not meeting our demands. So now that Jesus has confronted this woman with the new life, the new water that he can give, Jesus tells her to go call her husband. Have him come. And the woman rightly answers him, I have no husband. Jesus says, you're right. You've had five. And the one you're living with right now is not your husband. And so in response, she says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. She's starting, it doesn't, doesn't say here she's embraced the fact that he's the Christ yet because she, get, she goes back to town and kind of asks that question, right? Can this be the Christ? She doesn't quite embrace it, but she sees he's a man of some knowledge, some understanding. Maybe she's kind of like, Maybe she's kind of like Nicodemus there saying, okay, you're a teacher from God, so help me understand something. So it's interesting. So she starts to ask about worshiping on a mountain. Do you find that interesting? I think it's an interesting transition there. She's like, oh, well, you know all about me? Well, tell me, which, which mountain is it best to worship on? It's, she begins to demand that he enter this debate with her about religion. I don't know if she's hoping to justify herself. It didn't really tell. You know, maybe if Jesus was strongly, no, it's the Jewish religion, then she could be like, no, it's the Samaritan religion. I don't have to listen to you anymore. I don't know. It doesn't tell us. It just says she begins this debate. But you know what, Jesus? Jesus doesn't get pulled in. Jesus gives her something completely different. Definitely based in the Old Testament. It's not new. It's not new to God to say these things. But he challenges her while he affirms that the Jews are right to hold to the, old, the whole Old Testament and to worship in Jerusalem. Yet he says there is coming a day and it is now here. He just, he just, he just told us recent, recently that he's replaced the temple. <laughs> 
And now he's telling the Samaritan woman the same thing. God is spirit, unlike us. He's not, he's not confined to a specific location or a lo- locale. You know, we, we maybe talk about the church as God's house, but he doesn't live here. He lives everywhere. He's not confined to any locale. And so um, her question really is all about that. And in the Old Testament, God truly said His presence did reside with His people in His temple. But in Jesus' coming, Jesus lived among us. Truly God with us. And in turn, as Jesus dies and rises again and then ascends into heaven, He gives us the Holy Spirit to live within us so that God is with His people always. Not confined to any specific locale. And so Jesus, rather than affirming her her religious discussion, takes it to a completely different end and said, as God is Spirit, those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth that we must we must worship him in a new and living way gone are the the sacrificial systems now it is christ in us the holy spirit residing in us this new living spirit and truth that must occur within us worship is different now jesus doesn't meet this woman's demand religious answer that gives her his truth from god the woman answers i know that the messiah is coming he who is called the christ and when he comes he will tell us all things and very unlike jesus and most of the other places where jews jews question them on this jesus looks at the samaritan woman and says i am he i am the one you have been waiting for I am the one that you've been looking to. We see with the disciples that Jesus doesn't meet their demands either. Their desire for Jesus is to eat. They see him tired. They see him famished. They want him to eat, but Jesus is like, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach right now. You know, sometimes it's hard for us. We want Jesus to do certain things in our life. And then Jesus comes in to start teaching us about something. And we're like, no, I don't want that. I don't, I don't want you to teach me about that. I don't want you to confront me about that. I don't, I don't want to see that. Well, what does Jesus do? He's like, they're like eating. He's like, no, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together here the saying holds true one sows and another reap and i send you to reap that for which you did not labor others have labored and you have entered into their labor it's not time to eat it's time to reap it's time to see the gospel fruit evidenced in the samaritan's life jesus plants the seed he sows the seed of the gospel in the samaritan woman that he is the one who gives living water. He gives new life. And what happens? He reaps the fruit. But not only just from her. What does she do? She goes back. She starts telling their town all about it. And what happens? All these Samaritans, so much so that they come and they tell the woman, it's not just because of what you told us. 
that we believe. It's not because you just did that. But rather, we have experienced it. No, Verse 42, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves. We know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Jesus is not here to meet our demands. Even with the official, we see that. The official comes to Jesus and he says, come down with me. For my son is unwell. Come, he's almost, he's a point of death. Come down with me. Before my child dies, come down with me. Jesus is like, I'm not going down with you. But he says, go and your son, your son will live. Jesus doesn't meet our demands. He doesn't just do, we can't have a Jesus who just does whatever we tell him to do. It's no longer the Jesus of the Bible. It's no longer the Son of God. We all can invent a Jesus of our own imagination. There's times when we in our own feelings of superiority maybe or pride or whatever, we think we can have a Jesus of our own design. Jesus will not meet our expectations. He will, not, he will not embrace us as His authority and we making demands of Him. Rather, secondly, Jesus demands our humility. Oh, we make demands of Jesus, but Jesus demands our humility. We see the humility of the woman as Jesus reveals her sin. And she willingly embraces the truth of who she is. And instead of recoiling from Jesus, what do we see? She goes back to her hometown and says, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did, even my sin. Can this be the Christ? Surely, surely He is. Jesus demands our humility and our sinfulness. We have to realize that you know, one of the reasons why it doesn't make sense for us to make demands of Jesus and expect Jesus to follow after us in the ways we want to go is that we are sinful. You know, we can look at this woman and judge her, but we have our own sins. We fall short of the glory of God by our sins. We need a Savior. We need living water just as much as this lady. Not only that, the disciples as well are demanded to be humble. What was their response when they saw Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman? They marveled at it. Why is he talking to her? But what does Jesus then teach them? You're laborers in the field. You're meant to reap this kind of blessing. It's not your job to judge the Samaritan woman and whether she's worthy of the gospel or not. You are meant to go and preach and reap the rewards of the gospel. You're meant to work in the field. Disciples, you're just my laborers. I tell you where to go. That takes humility. It takes humility to put ourselves in God's, in God's labor force and let Him all the shots and let him direct us 
But not only did Jesus demand humility of the woman and of the disciple, he demanded humility of the official as well. The official didn't get it his way. He wanted Jesus to come and maybe he thought Jesus had to do some ceremonial ritual or touch the the sun on the head or whatever. He wanted to make these demands, but Jesus did not give in to that. Rather, the official had to humbly accept what Jesus offered. You're just going to have to go. And your son, and believe me that your son will live. Jesus speaks healing rather than goes down and heals his son. An official has to embrace it. He has to believe without a sign. And that takes humility. The third thing we see is that as we, as we let go of our expectations of Jesus and as we embrace the humility, what do we see? Jesus gives new life. We see this with the woman. We see this with the Samaritans. Belief that Jesus is the Savior of the world. New life came to Samaria. In fact, we read, and it's amazing. They, they come and they ask Jesus to stay with them. And we're told here He actually stays with them for two days. I mean, talk about being culturally irrelevant. Uh, to his Jewish brothers. I'm going to go stay in a Samaritan town. I'm not just going to drink out of their bucket. I'm going to live with them for two days. And from that, we see this, this reaping of a harvest of souls who have put their trust in Jesus Christ, who have new life now. Not only that, Jesus, Jesus affirms the new life with his disciples, saying that the fields are white. And then we see the new life that comes to the official in his household. As he believes Jesus, that's what we read here. Jesus said to him, verse 50, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Incredible. And as he was going, his servant met him, told him that his son was recovering. So then he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household believed. New life had come to this official's whole house. I mean, he went to get his son's physical life to save it. And in turn, Jesus saves their spiritual lives. As John 3 tells us, they are no longer condemned because they have believed in the Son. They have not just a physical life, but eternal life given to them by Jesus Christ. So application, what should we know? Jesus will not be defined by you or me or anyone else. He defines Himself. He is who He is. The Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the giver of living water, the giver of new life. You accept Jesus for who He is. If you accept some other Jesus, just know that all these truths don't apply to you. John 3.16 doesn't apply to you if you accept some other Jesus. No, it's the Jesus sent by God that we must believe in. It's the Jesus who says, I am the living water. I give the living water to you. I have new life to give to you. That's the Jesus we
Let's leave our expectations. Which leads us to walk. We leave those expectations. We need to believe Jesus. Humbly come to Him as the one who can forgive your sins and give you life. He's the one who can meet your needs for eternal life. He is the only healer of your spiritual death. That new life continues for us as believers. We're meant to humbly affirm our continual need for Him. Humbly affirm our continual need to serve Him like the disciples. We need to hear His call that the field is now white unto harvest and we are meant to go and sow the Gospel and reap the rewards. We are meant to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord so that people might come to Him and find new life. The fields are white. They're ready for harvest. Let us go. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Jesus Christ, the glory of who He is. Though though He was tired and hungry and thirsty, He understood this temporal life but for a moment eternity is forever and so oh may the love and care he shows to the Samaritan woman and the Samaritans to his disciples and teaching them to this official may that same love be channeled through us to see that it is not about what we eat or drink how we can live the kind of lifestyle we can have, Lord. It is about proclaiming Jesus and seeing new life come. May we, may we see with His eyes a field white to harvest and may we proclaim Him. Lord, move us, motivate us. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.